we'll cut to verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. And here David tells Saul of the times when he's been able to defeat a lion or a bear that's come against the flock and says that Goliath will just be like um, one of these because he's um, defied the armies of the living God. Um, and he has confidence that the Lord is able to deliver him. And Saul offers David his armour and David turns it down. He says he has not tested them. And then he took his staff in verse 40. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armour in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. 
And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come now to your holy word, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would take hold of this word and apply it to each of our hearts. Teach us, instruct us, enthuse and encourage us, equip us, we pray. But make us more like the Lord Jesus. We ask that the Holy Spirit might indeed use these moments to refine us, to make us more holy, more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I, um, I got a phone call some years ago um, from my son who was at a conference and, uh, in Scotland and he just said to me, Oh, Dad, I've heard the most amazing sermon. And he told me the outline. I never heard that sermon, but I've never forgotten the outline. It was on this passage and I must say, when I started preparing for this, that, that outline was in my mind and I, I have a strict policy not to nick other people's outlines or sermons, but I really was tempted. Let me just tell you it. It was Alistair Begg um, preaching on this passage and he made mentioned um, the great tennis player McEnroe and and many of you will know that McEnroe is famous for one sentence which is you cannot be serious and and he applied that to this passage so uh, David goes and finds his brothers just you know lazing around terrified because of Goliath and he asks what's going on and they explain and and this Philistine is causing so much havoc and David in in effect turns and says You cannot be serious. And then, of course, David has this plan and he goes to see King Saul and uh, he says, look, I'll take this man on. What right has he got? You know, and what what weapons have you got? Well, he's no weapons, etc. And Saul basically says, you cannot be serious. Well, eventually, as we know, David goes out and confronts Goliath and Goliath looks at him and basically says, you cannot be serious. It's a great outline. I I never heard the sermon, but I've never forgotten it. Um, But anyway, so if you forget what else that because I haven't got a great outline I'm afraid uh, just 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 remember that now I think the first thing is this is not just a children's story it is a great children's story I've told it loads of times to to children but this is an incident which comes at a very critical period in, in Israelite history so it is a significant passage and uh, has numerous truths. In fact, once I'd finished preparing and then trying to apply it, I thought, oh, wow, there are so many ways in which one could apply this. And maybe sometime I might write an article about a whole list of applications. I've chosen not to take too many of them today. But um, the leadership of Israel was in serious trouble. You probably know that King Saul had been appointed king. It wasn't really what God desired for the nation, but um, the Israelites wanted to be like other nations, and so they chose a king. And it was them choosing it. Chapter 8, verse 18, Samuel spoke of, quote, the king whom you have chosen for yourselves. They chose King Saul. They wanted a king who would go and fight battles for them, according to chapter 8, verse 20. They'd forgotten, of course, that God himself is the one who'd worked with them and was always with them to fight their battles. But no, they wanted a king, like the other nations, to fight their battles. Now, all the way through this this book, 1 Samuel, the Philistines and their threat is a sort of backcloth, the background to this book. They're always there. They're always causing trouble. And, of course, eventually King Saul himself died in conflict with the Philistines. 
Yet according to chapter 9 verse 16, Saul was supposed to save his people from the Philistines. He was the king. And if you remember, Saul was, was, you know, he was overgrown himself. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the one who in many ways was most like Goliath and you would have expected him to have gone and fought with him. But no, instead of... um, Instead of fighting, he's, he's cowering in his tent and, 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 and the whole arm is there, absolutely petrified because this freak. And that's what he was. In fact, anybody over five foot six is a freak and totally overgrown. This, this freak, who was probably about nine foot nine, you know, uh, he, he's confronting them. So all through Saul's life, there is hard fighting against the Philistines. And maybe... What was going on is that Saul was just feeling weary. He, 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 he was tired of the constant battle. He was feeling defeated. He was feeling battered. And, and though we might feel sorry for Saul, I think we have to remember the fact that actually, if you go through the life of Saul, which is an interesting study in itself, you'll find time and again, he never quite obeys. He nearly obeys, but never quite fully obeys. And of course, Obedience which is incomplete is really disobedience. So here we have this king who should have been doing battle, but he's failed the Lord, he's failed to keep his commandments, and now he's, he's feeling defeated. So when David, young David, meets Saul in his tent, it's one man who has actually just received the Spirit of God, that's David, Meeting with the king, and the Spirit of God has just left the king. Now, David was the son of an old man. There's nothing wrong in being that, but actually they haven't done very well so far in, in, in the Bible. Eli was an old man when he had his sons, and, and they were wayward. Samuel, even Samuel, who is in his older years, had sons. Those, those sons became rebels and disobedient and a terrible example. But David, the son of an old man, the youngest in his family of, uh, of sons, is going to do something absolutely amazing. But for the last 40 days, twice a day for 40 days, Goliath had appeared before this little army, this Pathetic army. And there he was with all his might, you know, defying not just the army of Israel, but defying the nation of Israel. No, defying the God of Israel. And that's what's so significant. He was mocking. He was deriding. He was reproaching against the nation of Israel. And everything that David heard when he arrived at the very end seemed as though it was blasphemy against the true and the living God. David arrived on the very last day. So probably, well, you know, it wasn't just coincidence that Jesse, David's father, sent David at this time. This was all in the providence of God. It was the right day for him to arrive. It was, um, in many ways, just an ordinary situation, but it was going to become an extraordinary event, as we know. I, I, I love, I'd love to have made a sort of photographic collection of the T-shirts that uh, I've seen. There's some wonderful ones. And if any of you have got any really good ones that you've seen, come and tell me. I'd like to write them down. But I saw recently um, a T-shirt, and it just said on the front, it said, On an ordinary day like this, Marco Polo set out to discover China. 
What are your plans for today? <laughs> it was great. Now, this was just an ordinary day. You know, and David arrives, and you, 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 you see the scene, and, and why, are you, why are you all here? Why, why, why aren't you fighting? And then David sees this, this vast, as I say, freak of a man, this frightening scene, and here's the terrifying speech. Goliath was colossal. He was powerful. He was menacing. To the army of God. Interestingly though, he's only referred to as Goliath twice in 1 Samuel. Six times he's referred to as the Philistine. (laughs) It's great. In other words, God doesn't quite give him the self-esteem that Goliath himself took to himself. But what's interesting as well is that there was this guy Eliab and he he was David's older brother. And there, there were other brothers of his there. And um, they knew about David. You know, you're the guy who looks after this few sheep, aren't you? Our little brother. And as the youngest in my family, I know what it is to, you know, you look down on a bit. Even though you may be, well, I've just about got to 40 now. And even though, you know, you've got that, they sort of still see you as the little brother, etc. But interestingly, these brothers had witnessed Samuel anointing David to be king. But they still turn to him and scorn him. And David says to them, you know, what have I said? What have I done? Why are you treating me like this? But inadvertently, they have, as it were, imbibed the spirit of Goliath. They are soldiers. They're in the army. But they've bought into what Goliath is saying. And they think, oh yeah, we couldn't possibly defeat him. The king, the army, the brothers, they'd all forgotten that those who defy the armies of God have to reckon with the God of the armies. They'd bought into this situation. I just want to stop here for a moment. We we, we can't ever say the UK is like Israel. Sometimes you get that, it comes across in, in sermons. But that isn't right at all. But nevertheless... We, like the Israelites, are the people of God. And in 2011, I think many of us would feel, we are facing unprecedented antagonism towards the gospel. There's opposition. I've done a mission just a week or so ago, and there was a good team of helpers during the week, but the team went down in numbers throughout the week. We were all involved in open air work, open air contacting, but some of the team were spat upon. Others were just verbally abused, and the numbers went down. It, I, I'm not criticising the team. It was tough for them. They were young people in a very difficult situation. But we're facing this. I work as an evangelist. I travel around preaching the gospel. And this, this year, the, praise God, there have been people converted. And I, I, you know, I rejoice in those. But if I'm going to be very honest with you, I, I think probably I've seen fewer people converted that I'm aware of in this last year than I have in other years. I, I think we're facing tremendous antagonism. And we know from the media and the discussions, and those of you at school, etc., that there is this great antagonism. I was speaking at a, a convention in a tent 
near Blackpool recently, just for a few days, aimed at Christians, and um, a couple came up to me and spoke to me, and I'd stayed with them some time ago, and I said, oh, how how are your children, and 16-year-old daughter doing very well, and how about your son, he's 14, extremely intelligent, and um, a mother told me that um, earlier this year at a parents' evening, the head of RE said, we aim to destroy the faith of your son. Now, this is in a state school, and... um, She then said, and the head of philosophy in the school, it's a big comprehensive school, the head of philosophy has taken my son aside for one hour every week to deconstruct his faith, and he's now saying he's an atheist. Now, what was happening in the school was was illegal and absolutely wrong. Nevertheless, it happened. Now, I could give loads of examples, and you could as well. We're living in these days. Now, the problem is we can so easily do what these brothers of David did and buy into the spirit of this antagonism. So somebody said to me earlier this week, a um, school teacher just said to me, oh, I, I can't speak about Jesus. I can't say I'm a Christian at school. I'll be in such trouble. That person was buying in to the spirit of Goliath. A nurse, I can't pray with a patient. I can't talk to my patients about the Lord Jesus. I'll be in such trouble. It's buying into the spirit of Goliath. Now, this is a big issue, and there isn't time to go into all of this now. I'm not saying we deliberately go out of our way to get ourselves into trouble or to antagonize. But let's not fear these Goliaths who come along and say, I defy you. Actually... They are defying the true and the living God. And there are times when winsomely, lovingly, and filled with our own good works that people can see, we have to say, I obey God rather than man. And if I lose my job as a school teacher or a nurse or whatever it is, so be it. The Puritans used to say, when people say, oh, you can't do that, they used to say, we can die. In the end, you could always die, can't you? You could always be in prison for the rest of your life, you know. Free hospitality. The government doesn't know what to do with its money. If they want to provide for you, let them, you know. And, but I don't mean it flippantly because it, it is, these are serious big issues. But these are the brothers of David and they bought into this spirit. <laughs> I love the letters in the Daily Telegraph on the Friday after the riots. Um, they, they gave the whole page, devoted it just to, to letters. And there was one that just said, so this is what a godless society looks like. Mm-hmm. Yes, very potent. But now we're going to see how God used one individual to confront his enemies. David immediately saw the issue. That Israel and Israel's God was being mocked. He saw as no one else saw what this Philistine was doing. And so he goes to the king. And he explained there was a lion, there was a bear. We, we heard the story well read a few moments ago. But verse 37 quite, is quite interesting. The Lord who has delivered me will deliver me. There was total confidence. I've preached on a number of occasions on 1 Samuel um, 14 where Jonathan says to his armor bearer about going up to attack the Philistines, that great verse, it may be that the Lord will work with us. I think it's fantastic. But David's not saying that. David is saying the Lord will deliver us. Jonathan has his caveats. Well, it may be, but David says, no, no, no. The Lord will deliver us. And I think the reason is that David had just had the Spirit of God rushing upon him. And of course he had all sorts of promises, not only made by Samuel, but the um, sort of the song of Hannah 
earlier on in the book where it talks about the sort of things that are going to be unfolding before us, etc. He was relying on the word of God. He had the spirit of God within him. He had a confidence that this was going to be the Lord's victory. Maybe Jonathan still believed that the Lord was able to save by few as well as by many. But on this occasion, he lacked the assurance that God would do it. But David had that absolute certainty. He had the spirit of God within him. Now, King Saul, of course, had offered his daughter's hand in marriage. He'd offered great wealth and freedom for the family. If anybody could defeat the, the, this, this Philistine, David wasn't interested in any of those things. And then David was offered King Saul's armour. And some of us will remember from years ago, um, Lance Pibb was saying, but when he put on this armour, he said he couldn't cope with heavy metal. So he decided not to bother with that. It's... Uh, But even the armour that Saul gave him wasn't as good as Goliath, so that's not going to help him, and he didn't need that to advance God's cause. Instead, he picked up five pebbles. Goliath had four brothers, so I think it was very significant when he took five pebbles and he put it in the sling, and he must have practised a thousand and one times before, you know, a Coke can on that little wall over there, the sheep and... And missing it, and eventually getting it right. And we know what happened. In the stone went in, the sling went round and round. We used to sing, and and such a thing had never entered Goliath's head before. And um, (laughs) and then David ran, and he got the sword, and he beheaded Goliath. He did what the you know the, the various. Um, NATO countries would love to do get um, get Gaddafi and as it were behead him finish it let everybody see he's dead and done for now David was able to do that and uh, the Philistines ran Saul's worldly wisdom and his calculating prudence was nothing compared with the courage and the faith of David which led to a great victory so what can we learn well I've Chosen, as I said, there could have been many lessons. I've chosen four that I think are applicable to us in the day and age in which we live. First, this isn't very popular. I wish we didn't have to say this. I wish I didn't have to say it, but here goes. First, until Jesus returns, there will always be battles to fight. Therefore, we should prepare ourselves for service. I would love to say the Christian life is going to be easy, straightforward, there are no issues, everybody will believe, everybody will be converted, there will be no opposition, wouldn't that be marvellous? But no, until Jesus comes, there will always be battles to fight. And if we're going to walk for the Lord Jesus, if we're going to speak for him and live for him and make him known, if we're going to stand for him in this day and age, we're going to find ourselves confronted by battles, issues that we'd love to avoid if we could. We'll find them for ourselves individually because there, as, there are, as it were, multifaceted temptations, constant temptations that come our way to try to get us to forget or to forsake the Lord and follow other gods. Five years ago, I don't think any of us would ever have thought that there'd be temptations to do with Facebook and blogging and making contacts through the the web, meeting people that we would never have had contact with before. I'm not saying it cannot be used for good. Of course it can. But sometimes it exposes people to 
conversations and contacts and friendships that are so deadly. As I say, multifaceted temptations, whatever they are. And and the, the battle to have the disciplines of grace, to walk with God in a disciplined way, delighting in that discipline, but saying, I am going to read the scriptures, I am going to pray, I am going to speak, I am going to be at the prayer meeting, I am going to go to the Bible study, I am going to stand for Jesus, etc. These are disciplines, and they come because of the grace of God that has come upon us. And whereas some Christians may, time again I've found, and I'm sure you have as well, that you've had to say, they may, but I cannot. I must not. We live, though, when it's not just we individually that are under attack, but the whole cause of Christ and the gospel. God's rightful position is constantly threatened, and therefore battles follow. And, of course, some of these hit the headlines, but we're aware of them. And therefore, prepare. When David put that stone in the sling, as I said flippantly, but actually it's a very serious point, he must have thrown stones via a sling thousands of times to get that deadly accuracy. He had fought with a lion. He had fought with a bear. More than that, he meditated on the things of God. I don't know when he wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, but the meditation at least was there as a youngster, looking after these sheep and thinking, wow. And looking up on the dark, starry night and thinking that the heavens declare the glory of God. And so on. There, was, there were spiritual disciplines in the life of this young man that prepared him for this battle and, of course, many battles to come. I, I beg of us all to be people, especially the young folk here, but we who are growing a little bit older as well, we need to keep up these disciplines of study, I, I, I read a fair bit. I've always got a few books on the go. I love reading, etc. But I am so frustrated that what I read now I forget. But I'll tell you this, what I read before the age of 35 I still remember vividly. And I would beg you to be people who are reading the Bible, getting to grips with the Scripture, reading good, not just floozy books, you know, and there are plenty of those in the so-called Christian book trade, but proper stuff that gets you into the word and gets you fired up with the vision for what God can do. The disciplines of youth, the disciplines that come because we, we love the Lord Jesus and be willing to do the humblest, the smallest of tasks if need be and say, right, I, this, this may not appear to be anything significant, but it's what God has called me to. David, looking after sheep. Nicholas Herman, badly injured in a war of centuries ago, left him with a very pronounced limp. Because of that, he couldn't find a suitable job. So frustrating. In the end, in desperation, he got a job. He just had to wash pots and pans in a monastery in Paris. But there, washing pots and pans in this kitchen, he learned to meditate on the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in that hot, sweaty, humid probably fly-infested kitchen, he learned to practice the presence of God. And he wrote a book by that title that has been a blessing to so many people since, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, learning that in the washing of pots and pans, you can meditate on the Lord Jesus and clean the dishes for the glory of God. So the little things... 
I'll tell you what, what's challenged me this week. You know, I don't know how many emails I get these days and they, they come in. And it's so easy, I've found, to deal with the ones where I have to give a reply, the sort of business ones, you know what I mean by that. And the prayer letters, you just leave. But actually, that's the real business. To be seeing what my friends who are sending me prayer letters by email are wanting me to pray about and to turn those into prayer for the Lord. Strange how the simple things of Christian living can so easily get crowded out. Secondly, don't try to fight every battle. There will be battles. But don't try to fight every battle. Tackle God's enemies. David's brothers see this young man and they turn to him and say, you know, <laughs> go back to those little sheep, those sheep. And he says, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then he turned and he walked away. It would have been so easy to have argued with his brothers. But he left them for a greater cause. And even the king, he walked away from the king to confront the enemy. Don't fight with your brothers. How many millions of Christian hours have been spent debating inconsequential issues while a world around us is lost and needs to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and we debate the minutia of Christian doctrine. You know, in eternity, give a million years to discuss it You'll all agree with me then anyway. So, but, you know, if you want to then, fine. But here, let's get on with the real work. Spend your life proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ, rescuing the perishing, those who have been taken captive by the evil one, and they go wherever he wants. That is the big issue. That's the battle we need to be fighting. Thirdly, and the biggest issue is always God's glory. Therefore, crucify yourself. In all history's happenings, the issue is God's name, God's glory. What's going on in Libya at the moment? You know, fascinating. And you want to know what's happening next, etc. But the big issue is, how does this redound for the glory of God? Will this lead to an opening up of the nation so that the gospel can be proclaimed freely, etc.? That, that's the big issue. And we should always be looking for God in the unexpected. And, and he'll do the unexpected. So that when David said, I will go and fight this Philistine, he, it wasn't just youthful enthusiasm that was going to soon burn out. Nor was it a foolish underestimation of the, of the danger that he was about to be confronted with. Neither was it, though, him being directed by the current culture and the priorities of the day which were to cower under the weight of his vitriol. No. He was saying, what does God want me to do? He certainly doesn't want his name blasphemed. I'll go and I'll confront this man. David was hurting because God's name was being mocked. And when they parade these people, have you ever thought how many of the BBC anchor people are homosexual atheists? I made a list the other day. There are loads of them. They have an agenda. You know, it's, just, it's not just that they happen to have risen to that. There is an agenda there. All right, we, we, they're not our enemies. We want to win them for Christ. But let us be aware of what is sort of 
prevailing in the atmosphere of the nation and let, let us pray and say, oh God, will you change things? Will you save these people? Will, will, you, will you use me to confront the prevailing culture of the day and point people to Jesus Christ? And then fourthly, and this is so lovely to end on, remember that God uses the weak things of the world. That's my job security. It really is. And and if he will use the weak things to confound the things that are mighty, then let us dare to do. We're not Nike people, just do it, but we're doing it in the name of God for the glory of God. Little is much if God is in it. Weakness is strength if God is empowering it. As we used to sing, faith laughs at impossibilities and cries it shall be done. Or as the great Yorkshireman, sorry, the great Christian Hudson Taylor said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. And when you think about it for a moment, this was the way of the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ crucified in all the agony and the shame and the humiliation and the pain and the suffering and carrying on himself the weight of the world's sin that was the greatest battle ever fought Jesus taking on the armies of Satan and they were defeated and the greatest victory ever was won by the Lord Jesus on the cross And now, in dependence upon him, we go out to live and to speak for Jesus, to confront the world that's held in Satan's grip. We're there to show Jesus by the way we speak and act and the things we do and the way we put ourselves out and get alongside people that are hurting, the needy, or just help somebody for a moment or whatever it is. And then we seek to speak for him. And as we do, we remember that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God. So we are not there to antagonize, but we are there to lovingly confront by pointing people to Jesus and speaking of him. We prepare throughout our life, but especially in youth. We depend upon God, and our desire is the glory of God. It may be that the Lord will work with us, but actually, the Lord will deliver, and he will have the victory. The final chapter has been written, and he is at work, and he does defeat the armies of evil. Let me just pray. We'll leave the last hymn, if I may, but let's just pray. Father, we take the challenge of Scripture and we apply it to our hearts. And we take the encouragement of the Lord Jesus, great David's greater son, who won such a victory as he suffered and bled and died on the cross for us, defeating the armies of evil. Lord, we depend upon him. We submit to him. And in his name we go. And yours shall be all the glory. Amen.